horses are at the gate. And they're off! Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy. And thanks for tuning in to winningponies.com. <clears throat> Big weekend in racing here, both on the track and at the windows. Uh, there'll be a lot of people listening tonight to try to get uh, Byron King's best bets on some of the weekend races because this weekend it's the 13th annual Daily Racing Form NTRA National Handicapping Championship. It's being held at Treasure Island Hotel and Casino in Vegas. They're going after a cool $1.5 million, and of course, someone's going to go away as being racing's handicapper of the year. I mean, the tournament really has grown. I remember back in the days when the uh, first winner's purse was $100,000. It's now up to $1.5 million, which is pretty good in the day and age uh, that we're in. There's no buy-ins. Uh, you, you have to qualify. And as a matter of fact, they allowed five last people to qualify yesterday. So right now, this year's field is up to 482 players, which is uh, by far uh, the biggest ever. If you're listening to this program, you're probably aware of the tournaments at your tracks and, and, and how you're able to get there. These are some of the best cappers in the country. And I'm proud to say that uh, several guests that we've had on winningponies.com will be out there, including Rich Nielsen, who we just had on two weeks ago. So, uh, Rich, we wish you the best and hope you come home with the big prize. Well, a big prize was delivered uh, down in Lexington this week as Rachel Alexandra had a colt. Good-looking horse. There's photos and videos uh, posted. It was born at 2.40 in the afternoon on Sunday at Stone Street Farm just outside of Lexington, a 125-pound colt. Of course, uh, this was one of those horse of the year to horse of the year matings. Uh, Rachel Alexander, of course, uh, considered one of of the finest uh, distappers of our time, Uh, the first filly since Nellie Morris in 1924, uh, to win the Preakness Stakes, and only the fifth filly in history uh, to win the second leg of the Triple Crown. Uh, she was also the first female to win a grade one watered, something we've seen again this year when Horse of the Year Harv de Grasse upset the boys in there. Of course, she was mated to uh, Curlin, two-time Horse of the Year, kind of an inside job since uh, Jeff Jackson's Stone Street Stable uh, had both of those horses, so they saved quite a bit on the stud fee there. It'll be very interesting to see. Maybe down the road, uh, this colt will take on the Bernardini Zenyatta foal uh, that I think is not due until April. Well, now a little something from the uh, things that make you go, hmm, department. Uh, of course, following the President's State of the Union address, uh, Ray Pollock, who's been on winningponies.com with the Pollock Report, he decided to poll his viewers on who would you select to deliver a horse racing State of the Union address. Uh, now, I just checked this yesterday. I'm not sure what the, what the final was today, but very interesting. Uh, the, the, the people that were, were announced uh, in here were Alex Waldrop, All Hell Kegasis, uh, Bo Derrick, D. Wayne Lucas, Frank Stronach, Jerry Gottmachain, and I never pronounced his name right, 
Jimmy the Hat Allard, who's a horse player, uh, Ogden Mills, Denny Phipps, and Stephen Christ, and one other individual, and that is, we all know who this guy is, he's the crazy guy sitting alone in the grandstand. And as it comes out, a three-way dead heat, at least this is the last time I checked it, between Stephen Christ, D. Wayne Lucas, and that crazy guy sitting alone in the grandstand. As a matter of fact, he might be listening to us right now, but every track has one or two. Uh, so we'll see who would give Horse Racing State of the Union address. Again, that comes to us by way of the uh, the Pollock Report. Well, it was announced this week that NBC is going to be taking over the Breeders' Cup coverage. This means it's the first time ever the Breeders' Cup Classic will be televised live on prime time. This is uh, big news. Of course, uh, uh, this will uh, bump the ABC ESPN broadcast, uh, and uh, it's going to be broadcast, of course, from Santa Anita this year. And so the Friday show will go from 4 to 8 in the evening, and the Saturday show from 3.30 to 8, which means coverage of the Breeders' Cup Classic will go from 8 to 9. You may recall that uh, NBC aired the event from 1984 to 2005. So NBC's really taken over horse racing. They're embracing it because, of course, they also will cover the Triple Crown. Once again, this year will mark the first time the Classic is televised in prime time. <clears throat> And speaking of uh, getting in some uh, uh, broadcast, uh, we had on the show uh, Mike Penna about uh, two weeks ago from Horse Racing Radio Network, and they've announced that they're going to have the Sunshine Millions uh, live on Horse Racing Radio Network uh, this weekend. So don't forget, uh, that's going to be uh, at uh, Gulfstream Park, Santa Anita, the Stronach Group are all providing the live coverage. Uh, we're looking at the, the Florida Sunshine Millions down at Gulfstream and the four stakes run at the Santa Anita's uh, Sunshine Millions Day, which is going to be sponsored or named after the new HBO series Luck, and they're having a Luck Pick 6. Uh, once again, you can get that on www horseracingradio.net. On the work tab, well, our three-year-old horse of the year, uh, Animal Kingdom, uh, is back in training. They thought they were going to have to scratch his uh, workout, and uh, it didn't turn out that way. He did go over a uh, kind of a, a yielding track. He, uh, he broke off about 10 links behind his stable mates, Eagle Poison, deal-making, he went in fractions of uh, just over 13, uh, 25 flat, uh, 36 and 1 for the three furlongs, and he got his final quarter in under 24 seconds, uh, finishing just two lengths behind his workmates, and then he just blew by him at the end. Uh, trainer Graham Motion was uh, very pleased with what he saw from Animal Kingdom, calling it a serious move, a serious work. He had to get something out of him. could be interesting. We could have two Eclipse Award winners meeting in Dubai because it looks like Animal Kingdom may be pointing for the $10 million Dubai World Cup on March 31st uh, with a possible return to racing in the Grade 1 Gulfstream Park Turf Handicap. So that'll be very uh, interesting to see if, uh, if those two uh, U.S. champions would be hooking up over in Dubai. Um, getting ready to return to the races, we've got uh, 
Union Rags, who uh, is looking awful good, of course, this weekend. We're going to get to see Hanson, and we'll be talking to Brian King about that a little bit. Um, he won't be going in the Holy Bull, that is, Union Rags won't, but he worked awfully good. He worked five furlongs in about a minute flat, minute and some change at the Palm Meadows uh, at, on Tuesday morning. It was the second fastest of 28 recorded works at the distance on a warm, clodian, sometimes rainy morning. Uh, very uh, pleased was Michael Matz. He said the horse came off a little bit hot, but that's the way uh, he, he does, and he says, Looks like they're in line to run in the Fountain of Youth. He's going to start working in company next week. Uh, I'll tell you what, though. It wasn't the uh, only horse to work five furlongs. There was a horse that worked five furlongs faster than Union Rags, and that was Take Charge Indy, uh, the son of AP Indy out of Take Charge Lady. What a mare she was. And so uh, we've got uh, a very interesting uh, sophomore season uh, heading up here. Uh, of course, Take Charge Indy won his debut at Arlington, finished second in the Arlington Washington Futurity, uh, was fourth in the Breeders' Futurity and before the Breeders' Cup uh, Juvenile. So it'll be very interesting. Looks like he'll be on the Derby Trail. Also, we're looking for a comeback. Jockey Garrett Gomez uh, finally had the cast removed from his left ankle Tuesday, a little more than two weeks after he fractured his heel in an accident uh, near the paddock at Santa Nita. Now, uh, they say it looks really good, according to doctors' reports. It'll be interesting to see when he comes back, because in the meantime, some of the, his mounts are being picked up, and it's, it's kind of hard to fire a jock after he wins on a, on a nice mount. So uh, two of his mounts are going to go on Saturday with uh, Sugar and Morning and the $300,000 Santa Monica stakes for fillies and mares. We'll look at that race later in the show, as well as the Santa Yasbel for three-year-old fillies, where Charm the maker will not have Gomez aboard. Uh, let's take a look at last week's race as we handicapped with Katie Michelet from the fairgrounds. We said that champion sprinter Amma Zombie was racing with a bullet on his back. Well, trainer Bill Sparr called an audible and scratched his Breeders' Cup winner, Amma Zombie, not going in the race. Uh, the Santa Anita surface with current rains, has turned very, very fast, <clears throat> speed holding all the way. And uh, the President, George Haynes, said that uh, track officials are realizing it, and since then they have uh, realized it. Uh, they've uh, added some material to the track, and they're trying to make it a little bit easier. In that race that Amazon scratched, that was the Palos Verdes, uh, former claimer, Frumius at six to one just went wire to wire, one easy by five and three quarter lengths. Uh, second was Galientos, and third was the four Mensa Heat. So it was a speed all the way around at Santa Anita. <coughs> also, we looked at the fairgrounds where Katie is based, and at fairgrounds it was a great weekend to try to keep up with the Joneses. That's right. Brereton Jones and Larry and Cindy Jones, uh, they uh, knocked them out of the park in the feature races uh, in both the Silver Bullet Day and the Lecomte. Starting with the Silver Bullet Day for Phillies, uh, Believe You Can uh, was very impressive. Uh, this is really a game, well-built, kind of kind of husky horse, uh, a daughter of proud citizen, uh, uh, 
Rosie uh, switch sticks. This horse responded to a hand ride late, and we may be seeing Believe You Can in the Kentucky Oaks a little bit down the road. And uh, who knows, uh, also on the trailer with her going up to uh, Churchill Downs for that first weekend in May could be another horse. Mr. Bowling bowled him over. Again, these horses uh, were both owned and bred by Burton Jones and trained by Larry Jones. And uh, Mr. Bowling went off at 7-2. to two. And this uh, really was a uh, an inter- interesting race, uh, but Mr. Bowling got the job done. He uh, won over uh, Z Dagger, who actually was the slight favorite in here, and uh, coming in third and in a very contentious race. Uh, was the 11 shared property who was very wide on the first turn. Of course, this was a horse that we talked about last week. We said it was a closer and uh, might run into some traffic. Obviously, it had to go wide, and that may have cost him a bit of the race. But either way, congratulations uh, to to Larry Jones and Brereton Jones for their uh, big weekend down at the fairgrounds. And then we closed it out. Uh, with the turf race, the Colonel E. Bradley Handicap, uh, and in here it was Mr. Vegas, a horse we kind of like, the horse we said has a stalking uh, style, and who is on top of his game right now. This horse uh, had back-to-back wins on the turf at fairgrounds and make it three in a row. Mr. Vegas, a beautiful ride by Miguel Mania. Hats off to him. And the second spot was the four dubious miss. And holding on for third, that's right, Pat Doopy, Jenny Reese's husband, got strike impact home to pick up another check in a stakes race. He's holding that eight-year-old together very, very well. Well, we're going to move things along right here. Again, we're going to hear of some of the new information coming out of the Jockeys Guild, and we're going to learn about the head of the Jockeys Guild, uh, Terry Meeks. And then after that, we're going to bring on from the Daily Racing Forum, Byron King, to break down some of the big races that are going to come up this weekend. Thanks for listening to WinningPonies.com, and don't you go away. Internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Your internet flagship station for sports. Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Englehart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Englehart. 
All right. Thanks for hanging with us. This is going to be an interesting segment of the show. You know, so many times on the program uh, in recent weeks, I've had to open it up uh, with an injury report about something that's happened at one of the tracks. It seemed like over the past three, four weeks, uh, we were having uh, two or three incidents a week where uh, guys had to be checked into the hospital. Uh, I was happy that the only report I had this week was to say that Garrett Gomez is doing very well and that he'll be returning to the saddle. But one of the main people in our industry that, that looks out for the uh, health and benefit of, of the jockeys is Terry Meeks, who's the national manager uh, of the Jockeys Guild. And uh, I asked him for his resume, and it, it, as it turned out, they delivered this large book to my doorstep. But uh, nonetheless, what's, what's great is that Terry's a guy that goes back uh, to the roots as far as the fact that uh, he's the son of a jockey agent, Paul Blair, who had uh, the Hall of Fame Jockey Early Fires uh, book for over for 28 years, so uh, Terry's not a guy that uh, uh, showed up in a suit one day and said, hey, let me see if I can help you out. Uh, he's been associated with tracks like Keeneland, Oaklawn Park, Arlington Hawthorne, Churchill, Hialeah, uh, Delaware, uh, but then, you know, he did uh, did get to wear the suit there for a while. He was named the special assistant to the commissioner of the NTRA and later, later as vice president for the NTRA uh, racing and industry membership. And then uh, ended up landing himself in New York. It was the chief operating officer uh, of Naira, and uh, was was there from '96 uh, through 2004. I could go on or not, or we won't get a chance to talk to Terry. Terry Meeks, thanks for being with us on WinningPonies.com. Thank you very much, John. Glad to be here. Well, listen, that's, that, that's quite quite a, a resume. I really like. Can, can you reflect on maybe? Some of the things I'm guessing, if, if your dad was a jock agent, you had to be spending some time as a as a kid on the backstretch watching him work around uh, the, the horses and riders. No, absolutely. You know, and the man that raised my dad was a trainer in the Midwest at Oaklawn and Chicago and Hawthorne, Carl Blair. Um, he was he raised my dad. He was my dad's real father, um, and that's where the Paul Blair, my dad's real name was Meeks, but he was raised by Carl Blair. So. Um, so yeah, it, it goes back. So I, I was on the backside, but you know, the one going back to one special thing. You know, my dad would be gone. We'd live in Chicago. He would leave to go to Keeneland or Florida or New Orleans in, in the spring, fall, winter time. And you know, I was out. Was, I was out a father. So I was always when he came back to Arlington Park, I'd always want to be here with him in the mornings. Right. So I think that was something special. And you know, again, I got to know a lot of people and. You know, once I graduated college, I went to work for Howard Battle and Bill Greeley, and you know, and so went to work my way up to assistant race secretary at a number of racetracks, and got to know a lot of friends and people, and you know, good people that I'm still friends with today. Well, that that's got to be imperative in in, in helping you. In- with with the jockey skill, that the connections that you've made. I mean, you know, everybody's uh, struggling uh, to get by with money, but let's face it, you know, uh, the way I see it, the riders are are the face and and the voice of racing. You know, great horses come and go, but the jockeys are with us for decades. And, you know, they, I talk about this a lot about being ambassadors of the sport and I, I they have to the horses can't talk the jockeys can they can tell us what went on out there they can tell us about their exuberance of you know coming up uh, uh, to, to a, a a big race uh so making sure that they are they are taken care of i think is is paramount in our sport 
you know, and, and going back and, you know, as a face of the sport, back in the, in the 1970s, you know, when we had jocks, whether it be Lafitte or Cordero or Shoemaker or Braulio Baeza, you know, there was no marketing uh, gurus or uh, branding. You know, the, the branding of our sport wore these jocks, you know, and I think they helped promote the sport. And, you know, the people that came to the races back then, they recognized those names, those athletes and stars. And I think they were a big asset to our, to our industry back then. Uh, that's what we're trying to do right now with the riders, to get back and with whether Johnny Velasquez or Ramon Dominguez or Mike Smith or Chantel or Rosie Napravnik, you know, Javier Castellano is my son-in-law. And that's what we're trying to do is, you know, earn, earn respect not only with the people, participants within the industry, but also our fans. Well, you know, I, I've been lucky enough. I've uh, gone on uh, on eBay and I pulled down a, uh, a Jockey's Guild book from back, I want to say, in the 40s. Uh, if, you, if you can, briefly, just kind of explain kind of the history and the growth, the evolution of the Jockey's Guild. Well, back, as you mentioned, that's when the Guild was founded in 1940. And the jocks, Eddie Arcaro, Johnny Longden, um, Sammy Rennick uh, formed a Guild and Back then, um, there was no medical um, insurance for them, no life insurance, no accident or disability um, insurance. Um, they had no voice within the industry. You know, one comment that we, I came across, and we put on a, a fact sheet, it came from Johnny Longden. I'll give you. A, I'll read it to you. When we first started the Jockeys Guild, I'm not sure sure whether Shoemaker was even born yet. At that time, when we were called into the steward's office, we were dirt under their feet. Now we have the respect that we are entitled to and are able to come into their office, sit down with them, and talk things over like gentlemen should. And that was back, Johnny Longden, back 40, 50 years ago. So One of my idols. Yep. I got to meet great. him one time by accident in Caesars in Las Vegas. <laughs> we were both in there watching a race, and I looked down. He was kind of dressed pretty nice. I said, excuse me, sir, are you Johnny Longden? He said, yes, I am. He signed a tote ticket for me. Uh, but uh, uh, now the, the whole thing is obviously um, I've always heard that it's it's harder to to, to get a jockey insured than it is a NASCAR rider. Um, th- this has to be you know paramount in, in what you do. And uh, some good news came out this week, and that uh, you, you've uh, finally come to the table and uh, hands across the water with the uh, Churchill Downs Incorporated. I believe what dispute you had has been resolved, and uh, this has got to be uh, great news. I mean, for the fact that you provide the life insurance, uh, AD&D insurance, temporary disability benefits uh, to your members, as well as taking care of those that are already permanently disabled. That's correct. You know, and the one thing, when we when we started this, Going back to with this agreement or not not have an agreement with Churchill, you know we could have done three or four different avenues. You know we didn't want to we didn't want to hurt the Breeders' Cup. We didn't want to hurt racing. We didn't want to hurt the fans. You know so what we the approach we took is education, building awareness of what the, what the guild does, what who it what we're doing to to making sure the riders are taken care of, whether it be the things that you mentioned, whether it be life insurance, temporary disability, A D and D policy, but also taking care of disabled riders and where a lot of tracks and new people in our industry doesn't realize and a lot of the jocks members didn't realize that we still took care of a number of jocks 
each year that are disabled, besides the Permanently Disabled Jockeys Fund, which is a separate organization. But we spent over the last four years, we were spending over $80,000 in taking care of their life insurance or co-pays or, dis, you know, uh, prescriptions, um, life insurance, some jocks that died. Um, so we were taking care of them and spending, and, you know, and just making sure they had wheelchair parts and, you know, durable goods and stuff. So I think that's that helped us. We brought... A number of riders into a press conference, you know, at Breeders' Cup weekend that were disabled. And, you know, whether it be Randy Meyer or Abar Cole, who the year before won the Breeders' Cup in the sprint on big drama. But, you know, Michael Strait and Manny Cruz's brother, Hanio Cruz. and um, Gary Berzer from Riverdale. Gary Berzer, absolutely. You know, and Gary Berzer, I can't say enough about Gary and what, you know, what how he's handled himself. And Michael Strait. And it, they all have. But. You know, it's a tough business. They all know the risk, um, but you know they're they get you know they need to be taken care of. And how we take care of them, and this is the way you know with the tracks. You know, there's two methods of funding for the guild. The jocks themselves contribute four dollars per mount. Who are the jocks who are in the guild? Contributes uh, four dollars per mount that goes to the guild, and the tracks that contribute. And you know, I'd say we get. We're back up to about a million six from the racetracks each year, including Churchill now and uh, New York Racing Associations, the Stronic groups. Um, you know, and there's a number of racetracks that contribute to the, the guild, and but there are some others that do not. And you know, we're, that's one of our main priorities in this next year coming up is making sure that you know most, if not all, the racetracks contribute somewhat to the guild. Well, I was down on Breeders' Cup weekend. I got to go to the National Turf Riders Dinner. I saw uh, Nancy LaSalle from your organization uh, being honored uh, with, with one of the top awards. Uh, obviously, under your leadership and with people like Nancy, uh, you, you, you've got some good things going. It seems like this summer, every time I, you know, open the forum or whatever, uh, the, the jocks at Saratoga were doing something, some kind of uh, guild activity that, that really exposed them to the public, that was kind of fun, upbeat, and I'm sure in some ways made, made some money. Uh, obviously, this is a concerted effort that uh, that the, the guild is having right now is making sure that that you're out in the public and that you're recognized. You know, and I got to give a lot of that to um, Johnny Velasquez. You know, the, one of the things that we first had an agreement was a sponsorship and to promote racing. And Charger Downs brought it to us. And Johnny said, "If we're going to do it, Terry, we got. I'll come in. Or we'll fly into Louisville on my own dime. We'll, whatever we can do to help this sponsor promote." And you know to to help it be promoted within the industry, and he'll do whatever he can. And you know when you said Saratoga, you know it's Johnny, it's Ramon Dominguez, it's Javier Castellano, and a number of jocks. Kent Desormo's great, and Robbie Abarado's you know is great. You know, but they have done. We had a karaoke event where the jocks go up there and sing and halfway make fools of themselves. And I've been at one. They're raising yes, money for great. Nancy to promote disabled jockeys fund, and they raised about thirty five thousand dollars, which is you know. You know, it's we. You know, the Permanent Disabled Jockeys Fund um, is very dear to everybody's heart. You know, my dad. You mentioned my dad had early fires his book for you know 28 years. Early, early younger brother Jackie was paralyzed at River Downs. I'm well aware and, of it. Yes, and, you know, and Jackie's been a family and he's, he's on the Permanent Disabled Jockeys Fund board with myself and Johnny and John Court. Um, but you know. There's 60, right now there's currently 60, approximately 60 disabled jockeys with Nancy's thing. And they get $1,000 per month, uh, you know, so that's $12,000 that each of them gets. 
that's nothing. Um, and you know, we and there's no guaranteed funding. You know, the way it was set up five or six years ago, the tracks would contribute, the horsemen would contribute. Um, you know, it's been you know tough times, but we need to find the guaranteed funding to make sure these, you know, people that you know help put on the sport and put on the race and are taken care of. Well, I, I totally agree with you, and uh, as, as you know, I'm, I'm, a big, I'm a big fan of the Guild, and I, I just hope that uh, anybody that, that's out there that, that's listening, if, if their track has as a fundraiser uh, to benefit either the Guild or the PDJF, uh, that they get behind it. I know uh, any time we've had a, a similar event at, uh, at tracks I've been at, it's been fantastic. I know the, a year or so ago you brought back the jockey cards, uh, but, you know, the, the main thing is, I, th- those jacks got to realize that in the eyes of uh, so many people, they really are superstars. I mean, they're they're Hollywood stars to a lot of these people. And I can't help notice, uh, particularly a lot of the tracks that I'm around, like Keeneland and everything, how so many of them are willing to stop, sign the autograph, pose with the photo. You know, I mean, yeah, a lot of times you're in a real hurry to, to get back and get changed for the next race, but it just seems that there's been an overall recognition of their part in promoting the game. Right. And you look at whether it be Robbie Aberrado here in Kentucky. You know, I asked him to go to an elementary class a year ago you know, on his day off, and he went from Louisville back to Lexington to, to attend the class. You know, it was great. Um, Calvin Burrell, he went to Frankfurt, and, you know, he's won all these derbies the last few years. You know, he's like a rock star. You know, and after he went to New York and stuff, I just think the more, you know, that's what we're trying to do is earn the respect, but, you know, give back. Give back to help promote the industry, um, local communities, charities. Um, Over the last, you know, several years, it's been, we've raised money, we've raised approximately a million three um, in charities. And most of it went to the Primary Disabled Jockeys Fund. But there was other charities, like whether it be Grayson Jockey Club Research, uh, the Thurbid Retirement Foundation, uh, Susan Coleman, you know, the daycare center at, at Belmont Child Care Center, and, you know, they're giving back and trying to do things, and the jocks are willing to do that and want to do that. Well, it, it, again, it, it, it takes good leadership to, to get that attitude and, and, and that awareness uh, to, to your membership. And, and, Terry, I think you're doing, you're doing a fantastic job. So, uh, as you know, if there's anything I can ever do, either on these airwaves or in person, uh, don't be shy about calling me because I think you're doing an outstanding job. Well, thank you very much, John. I appreciate it. All right, that's uh, Terry Meeks with us, ladies and gentlemen, and hopefully he'll be able to put me in contact with some of those top jocks in the Jockeys Guild so we can continue to bring you the top quality people here on winningponies.com. And with that said, we've got one of the top handicappers in the country, the veteran racing form handicapper, Byron King, on the line. Uh, He's going to break down some of those millions races, and we're going to take a look at the Holy Bull from Gulfstream Park. So don't go away. We'll be right back on winningponies.com. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track? 
you can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form, the most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry, let winningponies.com make some money for you. Internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, welcome back. I've been looking forward to this segment all week long. I will tell you that I have no problem taking the advice of people I respect at the racetrack. I'm not a hard-headed handicapper. And I've cashed many a ticket because of the insight of Byron King. And we're going to have him on with us. He's a native of Louisville, so you know he's a natural, steeped in in the thoroughbred tradition. Uh, He's the handicapper and columnist for the Daily Racing Forum. But something I found out about this him this week that I didn't know about is that he was a graduate of the University of Arizona Racetrack Industry Program, a program I respect very much and that I've made some good friends, uh, both in some of the professors and teachers there and uh, the the graduates, uh, one including uh, the late, great uh, Luke Kreitbosch and our track announcer at River Downs and Hialeah, uh, Pete Aiello, and uh, I think there's a trainer that came out of there uh, by the name of Baffert that hasn't done too bad. But uh, anyhow, uh, he, he, he got out of there. Uh, he was the odds maker for Sam Houston. Uh, he's covered races for the Daily Racing Forum. And, and something else I learned about him, that he also was a bit of a pedigree expert, that he's helped identify a couple of eventual stakes winners for private purchase for some of his clients. So with all that being said, let's hear from the man himself, when I call him a veteran, that doesn't mean he's old. Byron King from the Daily Racing Forum. Byron, how you doing? I'm great, John. Boy, it, it can only go downhill from here uh, after <laughs> that wonderful introduction. Thank you very much. So, uh, well, hopefully not, though. Hopefully no, we'll, it, we'll it say uh, of the, the six winners or however many I picked on winningponies.com on the, the 26th of January. We'll, we'll, we'll make a record of it. Well, the thing is, just so you know, these are all podcasts, so anybody can go back and check on our predictions. So I, I don't, I can't get on here every week and beat my chest and tell everybody I had the trifecta because they can go back and find out that I didn't. But we'll, we'll have fun handicapping the races. I told everybody we're we're going to look at a couple of races from Gulfstream, a couple of races from Santa Anita. But before we go there, anybody that's worked their way up into your position in the sport, got there uh, through hard work and through love of the game. Can you tell us a little bit about your introduction to the sport? and what it is that enthralls you about it. Well, you know, it, it, I was pretty much, you know, um, I, uh, like a lot of people that grow up in Louisville are exposed to racing in a much different way, or for that matter, maybe someone from Lexington as well, than so many other parts of the country. And, and although I did not have a family that was involved in, in racing, I just was taken out to the track just because it was a thing to do among Louisvillians, and, you know, I was a young kid, and I just, I love the thrill of it. The kids, I mean, my my, my parents would let me play for $2 wagers, and then I, 
got an Andrew Beyer book, and that's oh yeah, my really... fifty thousand dollar year at the races. Is that on your shelf? Well, it, it was the first one. It was picking winners, and okay, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I read it, and and I just really, really enjoyed it. And it suddenly occurred to me that this, um, you know, this great thing called the daily racing form that I could read and. If I was right, it was like working a crossword puzzle. That if you were right, you got paid. Which you know, I mean, I just found that to be an exceptionally fun and uh, mentally challenging enterprise, as well as just great sport that it was. So, I mean, I was uh, I was taking the bus out to Churchill Downs from high school uh, when I was fourteen <laughs> and fifteen, and if one teller wouldn't let me bet, I'd go to another. You know. Uh, <laughs> So I kind of bent the rules a little bit, but, you know, hey, uh, it made a fan for life. And uh, when I was 18 and, and ready to go to school, um, you know, I took a trip to Arizona in March and saw these beautiful uh, young ladies out there in, in the wonderful weather. And I yeah, no winter this jackets is where I'm out headed. there, you're right. <laughs> so, and it was a great experience out there, you know, to be able to, to study something like... Um, this great industry and very small classes and you know people that really love the game and uh was around some some really bright uh people and 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 it gave me a great start in the industry you know um i wish the industry itself were more healthy um because i would tell everybody hey you got to go out there and go to the racetrack program but it's it's a shame that it's in a, a little bit of um um, uh, a reorganization or a decline that it is, you know. So, um, hopefully that can be rectified because the program itself is a great one. Um, but obviously, um, you know, um, hopefully, uh, the racing industry is, is, can, can rebound in a way, say, uh, in contrast to the mega sized bookstores that are kind of become dinosaurs, you know. Oh, so we Don't speak too quickly, young man, because I, I do this show, and it seems like as uh, I pull down my reports and open up my racing form, you look at the stats of the last five tracks or so that have concluded their meet, and all five concluded on an upswing. So I'm just wondering if maybe the pendulum's coming back our way. I don't know if, if it's connected to the recession or the fact that, you, you know, everything breathes in and breathes out. And, you know, maybe people went to other forms of, of, of gambling and somehow found themselves coming back to the track because, uh, you know, I, I'm seeing a slight upswing in the sport statistically. Well, I hope that's the case, you know. I mean, part of me, though, uh, and, and I, I'm certainly, I'm a, a half full kind of kind of guy, you know. But you know, at the same time, you know, I look at one of in Kentucky's the track, you know, the, the circuit that I cover the most, and and we got bad news this week that you know Turfway was going to drop four stakes from their schedule, and they cut a couple other stakes, and you know, um, obviously uh, they're you know they're facing some pretty hard times and they're facing a a, a pretty uh difficult environment um you know and right now in, in the state of Kentucky obviously we have two very you know strong tracks that undoubtedly are going to be survivors in in Churchill Downs and Keeneland and which are just just dynamite places to go uh and whereas obviously Turfway and Ellis Park um they have their virtues but they're they're really struggling you know they're facing the the, the challenges of um gaming just across the river and, and and things of that nature and um 
you know, it, it's, a, it's a really, really, really tough environment. And I'm so sure that in those locations, either the people are as horse crazy as they are in, in, in my uh, hometown. But I certainly hope you are right. I would love to see it go back because I think it truly is one of the great sports. And, uh, you know, the thrill of betting and, um, and watching racing and, um, you know, as you mentioned, as part of the things, you know, I've helped advise on some purchases of horses and I've uh, currently owned some horses. So I've learned so much about the game and, and I've had the pleasure of that. I mean, let me tell you, when you win a race, when you own one, you know, you feel like you're, uh, uh, you know, an NFL owner, team owner or something. You know, you feel like you're, you've got some, I mean, you're just so proud of your, your horse and your trainer and your, uh, your jockey and all the things that come with it. it it's, it's quite a thrill. I mean, cash and big make it's fun, I, but that's pretty fun too. I, I, I've been there. I, I equate it with your kid hitting the final shot in the state championship high school game. I wow. haven't had that like, happen. There's no yet. feeling like. In fact, it. I coach our second grade team, and we're zero and four. So, um, thank God they don't fire basketball coaches, or I'd be in deep trouble uh, at that level. <laughs> I coached for 13 years. Hang in there, my friend. Well, listen, uh, talking about uh, you know the horses and what makes this uh, sport a- a- exciting. Uh, it's that time of year. We're past. Uh, uh, New Year's is over. The two-year-olds have turned three, and we're having uh, one of the earliest uh, major races, the Holy Bull Stakes, the grade three at Gulfstream Park. It's going to be a mile race. Uh, so I guess uh, in looking at the field here, uh, you know, could distance be the question for some of the horses that look like they're y- the young upstarts? Obviously, the star of the stage is there. Hanson, last year's two-year-old champion, is going to go to post. But there's a lot of uh, press boss Press box buzz, that's easy for me to say, uh, with consortium and algorithms. Uh, again, the question remains to see whether or not they can get the distance because we certainly know Hansen can. Yes, we certainly do. And obviously the question is with Hansen, is, is it's his first start of the year. Uh, both those two horses that you mentioned, John, do have runs over the track. Uh, they ran first and second respectively with algorithms uh, beating consortium by a, a length. Um, they're both very interesting horses. And the Holy Bull, to be honest, is an interesting race in the sense that clearly Hansen is the class. And uh, But it looks like a pretty speed-laden field. Um, yeah. So uh, I think that you'll see a horse such as Algorithms um, try to rate just off the pace as he did in his in his win at Gulfstream, um, and I think you, Consortium may try to rate as well. He was a little rank in his last race. He's first time Lasix uh, this time around. Um, and I think, you know, he came from off the pace in his debut. I think if they can take him back, they will. Um, so it will be interesting. You know, a horse like Hanson, and uh, I thought long and hard about it, and I tried to see, all right, am I going to try to beat him or, or not? And, and ultimately, I, I settled on him on top. And, and the reason being is I just think he presents such a tough challenge for someone in that, yes, there's other speed horses, but what do you do? Go head-to-head with the Breeders' Cup champion and hope to stick around? Uh, I, I don't think you're going to... Uh, I don't think that a lot of these opposing jockeys are going to want to really do that. And he's so naturally speedy and has such a high cruising speed. I just think he just runs them off their feet, to be honest with you. He's the best horse, and um, 
you know, from all indications, he's he's ready to rock and roll off the bench. Uh, I, I wish I could come up with a really creative selection here, but I I just think he, you know, he's clearly the class and uh, his blazing speed. I don't think any of these have um, can can rival. No, I, I think he'll be tested. You know, you've got uh, the Silver Max and Maya Donis who all display uh, early speed in the races, but they haven't faced an Eclipse Award winner. It'll be very interesting. If he jumps out there, I've gotten to see him in person win two of his three races, and it seems like once he gets on top, if he's on top that first quarter mile, he goes into this cruise control, and it just seems like it's effortless. And it is. Every and, you good know, two-year-old in the country had a shot at him turning for home at Churchill, and they couldn't get it done. Yeah, and you know, and he's a, he's a very interesting horse in that he pretty much runs a little bit, not as much, but... Uh, you remember that turf horse, Precious Passion, who used to run off to these big leads in those long turf races, you know, and he'd yeah. stick around for a lot of them. You know, he, he's not that much of an extreme, but he's a free-running horse that just wants to go, and um, now maybe one day somebody wants to go with him, but to be honest, uh, he's not the kind of horse that even in a paceless race would slow it down. He'd just run off and open up five. That's just kind of what he does. So um, he just has that ability to run real fast. And a lot of times, you know, people look for a closer or something, but they get tired chasing, you know. Um, and um, I, I kind of am intrigued if if we are looking for a little value and, and what how I would bet the race is uh, I kind of like uh, Maya Donis as a uh, exact to play underneath or maybe, you know, an exact to box um, uh, with Hanson if... if um, just on the upside of what that may pay. Uh, this is a horse that ran in the Delta jackpot and ran poorly, but was near the lead and really had no business being near the lead, in my opinion. I, if I recall, he was right next to the Bob Baffert train drill, and drill was hustled out of there. And I don't know if he maybe picked up on the other riders' urging of, of drill, but the two of them just went out and just cooked themselves. And I think we're going to see him take off the pace and. He ran some some good races last year. He, he won the prep for the Delta Jackpot, and you know he also uh, ran some very good races up in New Jersey, running against a horse named Sabercat, who's a very good horse. So um, uh, he's kind of interesting. So uh, pleasantly perfect. He's got a lot of uh, foundation under him, in contrast to algorithm, algorithms and consortium and. Um, he could be kind of intriguing, I think, for someone that's looking for a price as much as you can get one in a six-horse field. Well, again, you know, you look at uh, both his uh, efforts at a mile, and they were solid. One a win, and the other one uh, he only missed uh, by a half length to Sabercat. So I can't dismiss your opinion there. I'll be interested in knowing your opinion here in the Sunshine Millions Classic. Uh, this is a very interesting matchup. Now, these horses are Florida breds, but, uh, boy, you've got some horses here that didn't race in Florida much in 2011, including uh, Adios Charlie and Mucho Macho Man, uh, the two horses that, uh, you know, didn't dodge many bullets in graded stakes races, particularly Mucho Macho Man, and obviously I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, uh, put Turbo Compressor uh, in, into that same mix. Uh, they look like the three that come to the top to me. I'm liking to hear who you like. I'm, you know, this is a very good race. You know, this is a lot of people sometimes they'll see a, um, a state-bred race and they kind of... Um, think it's going to be of lesser quality but let me tell you there's some runners in here i mean this is um 
I would say if you took the Florida Breds off their names, you know, this race would stand on, uh, obviously, state bred races cannot be graded, but uh, this race, just in quality, in my opinion, to at least at the grade three level and, and perhaps at the grade two level. Um, but Turbo Compressor is my choice. Um, this is a horse that really started to come around uh, last year. He won the Curlin Stakes at Saratoga and ran really fast and um, for those that believe in the, you know, the bounce theory, you know, he, he got like 101 buyer and it took him a couple races where he didn't get back to it. Uh, but then he came back and he won nicely at Calder and he's brought in fresh and, and, and Pletcher, of course, is so good all around. But when he brings in a fresh horse, he really seems to get a lot of run, um, with them. And I, I don't see any reason why. Um, this horse um, can't go to the front, and uh, they're them all to catch. And, and he's a horse that's, um, you know, a two for two at a mile and an eighth. Um, uh, but at the same time, I mean, you know, you talk a horse like Mucho Macho Man, um, he had a nice comeback and allowance race, and you're talking about the horse that was third in the Kentucky Derby. So he's legit, Duke of Mischief. He's probably one of the most inconsistent top-level horses you'll find, but on his best day, he can fire a big one, as he showed in the the, the $1 million Charlestown race last year, the Charlestown Classic, a race he won over Game On Dude and Tisway, who, of course, are, you know, right. old names. So, but yeah, he just, he just uh, those last two starts were questioning. Of course, Duke of Mischief, he was second in this race last year. I'm just scratching my head off his, his last two starts. They were so uh, unlike his uh, former past performances. Yeah, it, you know, I, I remember talking to David Fox about this horse once before, you know, and I didn't want to, you know, insult him in any way. And so I said, Duke of Mischief's a, uh, you know, a bit inconsistent. You know, how hard is he for you to read? And he said, a bit inconsistent. He said he's very inconsistent. <laughs> so <laughs> it was kind of nice to hear a, a trainer uh, not give the trainer speak. I mean, he kind of acknowledged. I mean, this is a horse that... Is kind of all over the uh, performance map. I mean, you, you can have a horse that, you know, as we mentioned, can be two of the best older horses in training and beat them, uh, you know, impressively. Or he's a horse that, you know, can can lose by 26 lengths in the Whitney or 15 in a in a minor stake. You just, I I just really never know who's going to show up. But. Um, I guess if there is a benefit to that, the benefit is that that you know he's going to be a price because of that inconsistency. Well, that's a look at our two races from Gulfstream Park. What do you say we uh, hop on a plane and, and head out to to Santa Anita and play uh, two races on the Saturday card? Uh, that's going to have that luck pick six out there. Uh, we're going to start with uh, a race that's going to be carded as the third race. Uh, the uh, Santa Isabel, if I'm saying that right, is a grade three going a mile and a sixteenth. And this one looks like uh, it's got the potential to be a replay uh, of the Hollywood Starlet, a grade one race that was run just before Christmas uh, between Killer Graces and Charm the Maker, very lightly raced Charm the Maker. Uh, these two uh, finished 1-2 with Killer Graces getting the edge. Now, because of the win, there's going to be a little five-pound swing in weight today going a mile and a sixteenth. I don't know if that uh, carries much water in your handicapping camp. Uh, that's 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 my, my setup for this race, and uh, there's a couple question mark courses here. The main one being, uh, does Baffert 
have a trump card with an up-and-comer by the name of Eden's Moon. Yes, and in fact, you know, here's how heavily um, uh, back this one's expected to be. Is well, first of all, um, she was two to five in her debut, and then three to ten in her second start, um, and which she won by eleven lengths. And uh, my good friend John White, who does the morning line for Santa Anita, made her eight to five. Off that maiden win, uh, favored over Killer Graces and Charm the Maker, um, who were the respective one-two finishers in the Hollywood Starlet. So that is, uh, and John is a, a very bright odds maker and not afraid to stick his neck out. Uh, you know, a lot of odds makers would would go with a kind of the easy choice of making you know the Grade One winner like Killer Graces or something the favorite. But uh, I think he's definitely reading the signs of. How the public is going to go, and of course they, you know, betters love back in Baffert, and they know that he, like Fletcher on the East Coast, you know, gets, you know, he, he gets the cream, and you know, he gets the the production out of them. You know, you never know which one of his is the next star in the making. You know, but um, when when I'm wagering, I typically like to bet against those horses that are these blue sky horses that. You know, I mean, they're, that that everybody potentially thinks might be the next Oaks winner or the next Derby winner. That whose talent looks so limitless that expectations are out of proportion um, a little bit. And so, uh, you know, as a result, I'm gonna I'm gonna take Killer Graces. Um, Killer Graces is seven to two, the third choice, and. Although, as you mentioned, she does pick up weight off the Hollywood starlet. You know, I just have been, while she is not spectacular, I, would, I wouldn't call her performances that. She's very honest. You know, she's a, a three-time stakes winner, and she uh, is just a real kind of blue-collar, you know, gets in the exact quite a bit, six out of eight starts. Um, she's also got Hollendorf for training her, and... You know, I think she has uh, really all the ingredients that you would you would expect. Now, I, I guess if there is a question mark with her, it is that her only dirt start was a loss uh, at Fresno, of all places. Um, yeah, to charm the maker. <laughs> yeah, or or, or, or to, you know, so and, and so she and charm the maker have traded decisions recently at Hollywood. Um, there's not a lot separating these two, but. Uh, this horse is training very well at Santa Anita and Hollendorfer. I think, uh, although he's having a very quiet meet, it's hard to believe as I'm sitting here looking at his stats. He's, I think, one for 24. Yeah, uh, really but, hard to believe. Yeah, but he, he's got like five seconds and three thirds, and uh, you know, obviously, he's not it going like anywhere. It's, yeah, his <laughs> horses are firing. It's just you know, sometimes it's just it's the nature of. Um, you know, the kind of horses you have, the conditions where things fall. But, I mean, we know what kind of trainer he is. So, um, Killer Graces, if the odds stay true to that, I think if you have a chance to take, uh, get 7-2 on a grade 1 winner, you, you, you take it, that's for sure. All right. Well, listen, we've got a couple minutes left here. Again, uh, part of the... Uh the luck pick six will certainly be the grade one Santa Monica. It's a seven furlong affair, uh, at Santa Anita. And, uh, again, this one kind of sets up like the race we just talked about. Uh, this could be a replay of the La Brea with, uh, uh Teddy's Promise and Sugar in the Morning. 
who ran 1-2 in that grade one uh, on a New Year's Eve. Uh, it's not to say that uh, there, there's, there's not uh, somebody in the woodpile there that, uh, like Rumor, who appears to me, is getting better every start. Uh, I'll be interested in seeing if you see the two horses coming out of the grade one or if you've got an upsetter. I've got well, I've got rumor um, again. Uh, John White cursed my buddy, making her nine, nine to five. What is he doing? I was thinking she was going to be much better. Oh, than that, really? But... Rumors nine to five? Yeah, boy. Yeah, when I handicap, I do without. John uh, must that's... be sneaky looking. I thought this was to be like and one. then knocking the price down. He knows my legions of followers, huh? <laughs> I don't know what's up with that, John. You know, uh, but no, I'm joking. But the. Uh, no, uh, clearly she has uh, a lot of support, uh, but I kind of thought she'd be a bigger price because she's not, you know, coming out of the graded races that some of these other horses are. But what I like about her is I don't the La Brea, while it was a great one, um, you know, races are graded beforehand. Um, they're not, you know, they're not always a reflect a true reflection on the quality of the race because they differ from year to year and so forth and. Uh, this was a year that, in my opinion, the La Brea was not particularly strong. It did have turbulent descent in it, uh, but it, if for those that watched the race, um, yeah, that horse turbulent didn't even descent show up. was like, she was just dull. I mean, she just was never involved. I, I don't think it was that these were so, like, they were superior to her. She just looked like she just didn't want to show up. I, you know, I don't know if the Breeders' Cup knocked her out or what. And I think if you took her out of the mix, they're really... In my mind, I don't think anybody really would have thought that anything in there was grade one kind of caliber. Um, so, Well, Byron King, I'm getting taken out of the mix right now because I, I see that my producer is uh, pointing a finger at me saying, hey, guys, you did some great handicapping today, but we've got to close this show out. So, uh, Byron King, I want to thank you so much uh, for your introspective look at the races we handicapped. I love learning about how you got turned on in the game, and I look forward to seeing you at a racetrack near us soon. That sounds great, John. I look forward to it, uh, meeting up with you down the road. Okay, that's Handicapper from the Daily Racing Forum, Byron King. Don't forget, don't just take his advice. You've got to dial up winningponies.com. They've got some fantastic handicapping materials that will only complement the races that we looked at today. Don't forget, you've got the, you got the Sunshine Millions uh, coming up, and if any of you are there for the Handicapping Championship in Vegas, go to winningponies.com. and may help you get that edge. So for Winning Ponies, I'm John Engelhart. Overlooking the turf course past the Ohio River to the hills of Kentucky. Remember, bet with your head, not over it. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network.